0: I want to share a story with you. I might have shared this story with you before about anger, but this story happened to me and it really gave me a tremendous appreciation for our approach to anger. It was about a year or two after 9-11 and I had to catch a flight at the airport. And it was an American flight. And if you're familiar with LAX, back then American used to control terminal 3 and 4. And if you know LEX, it's shaped like a big U. And 3 and 4 at the bottom of the U on opposite sides. And, as is my normal routine, I always get to the airport just shy of too late. And, which I'm always, occasionally it has backfired, which it almost did this particular instance. When I showed up at the airport and my flight was at terminal 4, I get to Terminal 4 and it's pandemonium, it's chaos. Literally the street was filled with people. What happened was somehow they detected that someone had gotten through security without going through an x-ray machine. Someone, and post 9-11, you can imagine, what that would be like about a year or two after 9-11 someone managed to get through security without going through the x-ray check they shut down the terminal no one allowed in no one allowed out until single file everyone who is in the terminal had gone through a security check pandemonium ensued imagine the people continuously showing up the people that are already there are now locked outside glass doors people continuously showing up, the crowds just building and building and building. And by the time I got there, it was just a sea of people and nobody knew where to go. And there was a person, an employee of the airport or of the airline standing on a chair in the middle of the street with a bullhorn, reading out flights that had been shifted to terminal three. But with the din that existed in the street and the people, you couldn't hear a thing that anyone was saying. So a gentleman who was standing somewhat in my proximity asked the woman, did you say flight such and such? And I don't remember the flight number. Of course, this is many years ago. Did you say flight such and such? And it happened to be my flight that I was on as well. And the woman said, yes, I did mention your flight. That's at terminal three. Oh, great the guy looked confused i said i know where terminal three is let's go it's on the other side perfect we're not here we're over there great so the two of us start walking to the other side when we as we approach the other side we start having a conversation and he mentions to me that he has an e-ticket now Many of you probably are not familiar with the reality that e-tickets were not always used. (laughs) They were just beginning to become popular back then. I actually did not have an e-ticket. I had a regular ticket where I had to print out my ticket in hand. He had an e-ticket. And I said to him, and back then, by the way, e-tickets were very different than the way they did it now. If you had an e-ticket back then, you went right to the gate. You didn't have to check in. Your e-ticket was your boarding pass. It was very different. So we're walking to the other side, and I said to him, I said, oh, you have an e-ticket? You're in luck. When we get to Terminal 3, just find out where the gate is, and you can go right to the gate. All you have to do is show the person, you know, if you have a printout of your e-ticket, all you have to do is show the person, and you can just go right to the gate. Well, when we get to Terminal 3, he leaves to go to the gate. I have to go to get in line, and that's the last I saw of him for a while. I go to get in line, and there is quite a line. It's not like Terminal 4, it's not chaos, but there's quite a line, and as I said, I get there somewhat shy of too late, so I'm getting nervous about the cutoff time. And, but you know, there's a bunch of people, there's maybe 40 people in front of me, and I notice that in front of me is also a family. A husband, a wife, and two old teenage, the early 20 children. And they're mentioning, and I hear their conversation, they're on the same flight I am. Alright, they're on my flight, on my flight, we'll get in line. Well, you could see the man is getting nervous. He's getting worked up, he's getting nervous. The time, the time. And he notices the first class line is empty. So he says to his wife, come on, let's go. And I'll never forget this, his wife says to him, but we're not, we don't have first class tickets. And he says, just shush. And he grabs his wife and and the luggage and they go over to the first class line. And there was someone at the counter on the first class and when the person behind the counter finished with that passenger, she said, next please. And he marches up and hands the tickets and she takes the tickets. She says, I'm sorry, you're not a first-class passenger. You have to go stand in line. And he starts screaming at her. But I'm going to miss my flight. And she says, I'm very sorry, but how is it fair to all those people standing in line that you just jump in front? You're going to have to stand in line with everyone else. Now, meanwhile, since he got out of line, another good ten people has gotten in line behind me, and he now is... Furious, and he has to go back in line and now he's 10 people behind I wait my turn finally jump ahead I won't bore you with the details of going through the line I check in and I go to my gate I get to the gate and my flights not on the screen and I get nervous So I go to find someone. There's no one there. I go to find someone. I say, I'm flying to such and such a place. It's not on the screen. They look it up on the thing. And they say, no, 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 it's here. Don't worry. Just have a seat. And it'll show soon. It's been delayed with all the stuff that's been going on. Understandable. I said, OK, fine. As long as this is the right place to be. I sit down. I look around for the gentleman that I had walked over with. And I don't see him. Well, I guess... Maybe went to the bathroom, maybe he is first class and he's in the lounge. I give up. About a half hour later, that family that was in line with me comes marching down the terminal and the husband is more furious than he was when she threw him out of line. He is just stomping and barking at everybody, and he gets there, he doesn't see the flight, and he starts screaming at the first person he can find. He is irate, and you can see his wife was just embarrassed by the whole thing. You can see his children were not happy with it. He is screaming and stomping and finally throws his luggage down and the four of them down in a chair and they are looking miserable. About a half hour later, I see marching down the terminal the gentleman that I had originally walked with. Now this was probably December or January, I don't remember, but I know it was winter quote-unquote winter in LA <laughs> winter winter in LA means you go outside with a sweater on from about 10 to 1 and then you're boiling hot so you have to take the sweater off right so but we got this he when I had first seen him he had a sweater and a like a very light jacket on now he is marching down the terminal I kid you not he's wearing a t-shirt a short sleeve t-shirt his jacket is tied around his waist, and his sweater is draped over his shoulder, and he looks like he's been through the run. I mean, his hair is just, he literally looks like he just ran a marathon. And he sees me, and he smiles, and he comes over, and he plops down. <sighs> and I turn and I said, what happened? <laughs> where, where have you been? <laughs> and he said, oh, my He said, I did exactly like you said, and now I start to feel bad because he tells me what he's been through, and It's all my fault. And he says, I did exactly like you said. I went right to the gate. And when I got to the gate, the flight wasn't there, just like I had seen. And he did what I did. And and I asked someone, and they told me that it had been moved back to Terminal 3. I mean, to Terminal 4. And so I left, and I marched back to Terminal 4, and he said, and by the time I got back there, it was worse than when you and I had left. He said it was worse. Now they had opened the doors, but they had opened three doors, and people were just, it was chaos. And by the time I could find someone, he said, It was just, I could feel that this was, like I'm shoved, and I finally find someone and they tell me, no, your flight is in terminal three. (laughs) He said, at that moment, this is amazing, he said, at that moment, I felt my blood start to boil. I felt my temperature start to rise. I felt the beads of sweat start to bead on my forehead and I started to get very hot and I realized this insight he said and I realized that I better stop or the rest of my day will be ruined and he said and I stopped I put down my luggage I took off my jacket tied around my waist I took off my sweater threw it over my shoulder picked up my bags and walked back here and here I am (laughs) And I said to him, I said, wow, you have no idea what you just did for me. I said, first of all, I'm so sorry I sent you right to the gate, because had I not sent you to the gate, you wouldn't have been through all that. And he said, no, it's not your fault. Either. And I said, but I want to show you something. And I pointed to that family. And I said, look at that family. They looked miserable. The two of you just went through the same experience. And if anything, what you went through was worse. But you both went through the same experience and look at them and look at you. I said, Judaism says that we are in control of our anger. We decide whether or not we can be angry. We decide whether or not we will be angry and we can decide all of our emotions. You made a choice and look at the way you are and look at the way they are. It was a tremendous insight for me because I had always been taught that and I'd never seen it played out in real life. My rabbi, Rabbi Weinberg, used to say the following analogy. He said that Judaism teaches us that every emotion is a choice. Every emotion is a choice. And we sometimes don't relate to that because we're so used to our emotions being a reaction as opposed to a proactive decision. And the example he would always give was anger. He said, imagine, I gave you this example. You get that new car, your favorite sports car, and they deliver it to you at your front door and you take it out. And you want to get it to the freeway to open it up and see what it can do. when you pull up to the first stop sign and it turns yellow. And even though you could easily, in this Ferrari, go right through it, no problem. No, no, stop. And sure enough, right when you stop, someone hits you from behind. <laughs> You're kidding me. Please. What? No, that didn't just happen. And before you could open your eyes in the rearview mirror to see what idiot this is, they backed up and hit you again. Oh uh-huh. my! <laughs> That's it. Forget seeing who it is. I'm going to kill this person. You fling open the door or you hit the button while it goes, whichever one you do. And you jump out and you're going to kill this person. And before you could get out of the car, they do it a third time. At this point, red. Now you're not going to kill them, you're going to kill them slowly. <laughs> But before you could go over to their car, you see a pickup truck with the most politically incorrect description of someone from South Carolina, yes. sitting in the front seat with a sawed-off shotgun on the dashboard, a sawed-off shotgun over his shoulder, and a sawed-off shotgun in the passenger seat with the seatbelt, because that's his, that's his, you know, that's his wife. And immediately, the anger is gone. The anger is gone. You say, oh, I'm so sorry. Was my Ferrari in your way? I'm sorry. Would you like me to move it? You know what? Forget it. Why don't you just drive over it? Just, just drive over it. Don't worry about it. The anger is gone. And he used to always tell me, and don't make the mistake thinking it's because of the gun. It's not the gun. It's the realization that it's counterproductive. Because imagine you're in New York. I'll give a second example to demonstrate. You're in New York walking through Manhattan, <coughs> taking in the sights, And you realize your shoe's untied. Now, you cannot bend over and tie your shoe on a street in Manhattan because you will get trampled on. It's the only place that's amazing, just a sea of people. So you move over to the side of the road to tie your shoe, and you go over into the corner between the wall and the steps up to the brownstone to tie your shoe. You bend over, and sure enough, even in that recess, someone bumps into you, you lose your balance, scrape your head against the winter in New York. Always, always burns more in the winter. And winter in New York is real winter. You scrape your head against this brownstone. And, oh, that's smart. And now, like, what's wrong with this person? What are you? Bl- oh, you are blind. Mm-hmm. The anger is gone. You see, when we realize anger is counterproductive, we can choose to get rid of it. That's all emotions. Every emotion is a choice. The reason that anger, though, is a choice that we have to make is because anger is so destructive. The rabbis in the Talmud say that anger is the one thing that can destroy a home. Anger will destroy a home. Literally, they give an example of, they say, what's anger like in a home? It's like vermin in wheat. It'll just destroy it. It'll just eat it away. Anger is destructive. It's fascinating. I bought two things that we'll take a look at. But the Rambam, one of the most classical scholars in Jewish history, he wrote a compendium of Jewish law and Jewish thought. It is literally the encyclopedia of what it means to be a Jew. And in it he writes, in the second book, it's broken up into books, in the second book which talks all about what's the goal of a human being, And he talks about character development, perfecting our character. And he says that the way we perfect our character is we walk the middle road. It's like the original Karate Kid. Life is about balance. It's all about balance. You don't have balance, you get squashed. That's Judaism. Life's about balance. Every character trait you can think of, you want to walk the middle road. Extremism is bad. And I know that's hard for us to believe and to grasp because when we look at Judaism, it looks very extreme. But the reality is, is if you start to analyze it, you see it's all about balance. Walking the middle road. Extremism on any side. Take any emotion, any character trait. Joy. Extreme joy is not good. Can you imagine showing up, God forbid, at someone's funeral filled with joy? That's not a good thing. So It's inappropriate. God forbid your father, your mother dies and you're filled with joy inappropriate so joy in extremism is bad but sadness in extremism is bad so the balance with one exception it's actually two exceptions but we'll leave that aside for now the exception is anger the rambam says anger is the exception to the rule that the middle road is bad you must get to the extreme And the extreme is no anger. To get to the point where there is zero anger. they tell a story in the Talmud about one of the most famous rabbis, Hillel. I'm sure you've heard of Hillel. There was a bet amongst two, uh, we'll call them scoffers, two individuals that like to uh, cause trouble, and they bet $400, $400 four hundred dollars, four hundred of the currency of their time, not dollars obviously, but they bet four hundred dollars that they that they could get Hillel angry. And one of them said, No way. No one says, Oh yeah, I'll get him angry. Four hundred dollars, I'll get him angry. So what does he do? He waits till just before Shabbos, just before Shabbos, if any of you have ever been to an observant home, An hour or two, two hours, an hour, about two hours before Shabbos, sheer chaos, (laughs) sheer stress-induced environment. So he says, I'll go. He goes to Hillel's house just before Shabbos, knocks on the door. Is Hillel here? Banging on the door. And Hillel was just about to get into the shower. They didn't have showers back then. They had the tub. He was just about to go take his pre-Shabbos bath. And he puts on his robe, and he comes down, answers the door. Yes, can I help you? He says, I have a question to ask you. And he says, oh, okay." And he says, I want to know. And he starts asking the most bizarre, random questions. He asks, why do Africans have flat feet? (laughs) And Hillel answers his question. And he says, oh, thank you. And Hillel goes back, and he goes back to his bath, and he's about to get in the bath, and bang, 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 bang. And he knocks, is Hillel here? And Hillel puts on his robe, and he comes to the front door, and he says, yes, can I help you? And he says, I have a question to ask. And Hillel says, okay, ask your question. And he asks another random, arbitrary question, just like that one. And Hillel answers his question. And he goes back, and then he does it a third time. And he bangs on the door, and he says, and Hill comes. He says, yes. He says, I have another question, but I'm scared to ask it. And Hill says, well, why are you scared to ask He says, I'm scared. I'm scared you're going to get angry. And he says, I'm going to get angry. Whatever. Here. And, he, and he and he tightens his rope, and he sits down, and he says, whatever questions you have, ask. And the man says, well, now I'm angry. And Hill says, well, why are you angry? <laughs> you just lost me
1: $400.
0: And Hill says, What? And he realized the bet. And he all says, you know what? Better you should lose $400 than I should ever get angry. <laughs> the Talmud's telling us, and the Rambam's telling us that one, anger is destructive, but anger is something that we can get rid of. And the only way that we can deal with anger is if we resolve to do that. There's no way we could ever beat anger if we don't Understand that it's controllable, if it's negatable, and it's something we want to do. That's number one. Number two. Rabbi Weinberg used to always tell us that if you don't know yourself, you don't know anything. The beginning of all wisdom, the beginning of all understanding of life is to understand ourselves, is to know who we are. To know ourselves, not just to know who we are as humanity, to understand human nature. That's great, that's also part of understanding ourselves. But to know me, to know myself, to literally make an accounting of who I am. And when it comes to anger, we should have an understanding of what makes me angry. What situations do I get angry in? What situations don't cause me anger? Start to understand. And by the way, this isn't going to be a constant. Even though you decide you're going to work on anger, well, what makes you angry now might not necessarily be the same thing that's going to make you angry in five years from now. Just for example, right now, I can guarantee that all of you, your parents make you angry. Now that's not one that will change. That will stay with you unless you work on anger. They're not going to change. You have to change. So that's one. But you know what? Your spouse doesn't make you angry yet, hopefully. There's one married in the room. But your spouse, because you're not married yet, but one day you're going to have a spouse. And trust me, they're going to make you angry. And you don't have kids yet. Trust me, they're definitely going to make you angry. So what makes you angry now is not the same thing that's going to cause you anger in the future. And so you're going to constantly have to re-evaluate and reassess what makes me angry. But to begin with is sit down and start to literally focus. And have an accounting. Have a checklist. Make a a list. Keep a diary of what, what makes me angry. I got angry today. What was it about? Why did I get angry? What was the scenario? Does that always cause me to get angry? I mean, am I always angry at 4 o'clock on the 405? Is that something that always happens? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> right? Am I always angry at 3 p.m. at Ralph's when there's only one aisle open? I mean, just you know, start to analyze and make a, a, an accounting of common scenarios. Because trust me, they are repetitious. It's not random that you get angry at this and then three weeks later it's something entirely different. It's a reoccurring scenario that makes you angry. So, what's number two? Number three is really the basis of all anger, and that's coming to understand what's the real cause of anger. Not the situations that make you angry. The reason you want to know what situations make you angry is so you can begin to be alert and start to be cognizant and ready. Be aware. You know, it's like, It's like groundhog day one of my favorite movies i have a whole class on it it's an amazing movie if you'd like you can do a class on it just that but you have to watch the movie first beforehand even if you've already seen it but you remember that one scene with um oh what's his name um needle needle nose uh oh what was his name Ah, needle nose that was the needle nose was his nickname the insurance guy and he would always walk away from him and as he'd walk away to get away from him he'd always step in that puddle And Needle Nose would go, watch that first step. It's a doozy. (laughs) And then what happened in the movie? He started to realize and remember the steps there. And he'd, "Oh, oh, oh, no, 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 no. And he'd step over it. So if we start to understand ourselves and know when we get angry, we can watch out for that first step, which is a doozy. We can watch out for the puddle. We can be alert. Okay, this is where I normally get angry. Now, we'll speak about, okay, now that I know that, what do I need to do? But if you're not aware of it, you're going to step in the puddle every time. Where does anger come from? It's amazing. The Talmud makes a a statement that really gives us the key to knowing where all anger comes from. The Talmud says that anyone who ever gets angry, it is as if they worshipped idolatry. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bad one. (laughs) But it's as if. (laughs) But it's still bad. Now, why is it as if one worshipped idolatry? What's idolatry? Idolatry is a statement that God is not in control. Well, if God is not in control, then who is? Me. At the end of the day, that's what life comes down to. The struggle between God or me. And anger is all about control. That is the essence of all anger. It is all about control that has been taken away. An assumption of control that has been taken away. Think about it. Think right now of a situation where you constantly get angered over. You will see it is because you have assumed incorrectly that you should dictate how that should be. I dictate how people should treat me. How dare you treat me that way? Because I've decided how people will treat me and you don't treat me that way, I'm furious over that. How dare you drive drive this way on my freeway? I've decided that when I leave my house at this hour, that I should be able to get to work in this amount of time. I've decided that. I am in control of that time frame. And, and nothing should change that. How dare you ruin that for me? I have decided to eat in this restaurant, and I have decided to order this item on the menu, and I have decided that that should take this amount of time, show up exactly the way I want it to show up, and taste exactly the way I want it to taste. How dare it not be that, right? <laughs>
1: sounds so childish and silly. Like
0: well, this. it is. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> and we'll get to that because really we should learn to laugh at ourselves. The ultimate tool against it, and I'm jumping ahead, the ultimate tool is to learn to laugh. And that's really what all humor is. All great humor, all great humor is showing the nonsensities if there is such a word, I like it, the nonsensities of life. And the ultimate nonsensity is ourselves. We are the greatest caricature that ever existed. And if we see that comedy, then that helps get rid of the anger. But if you think about it, every situation where you ever get angry, I've decided that I'm a mature adult now, and mom and dad, you can't talk to me that way anymore. I've decided that, and you continue to talk to me that way. How dare you? I don't understand. I've told you you can't speak to me that way and you continue to speak to me that way. I've decided that that's not allowed. It's all about control. I've narrowed it down to three areas of control. The first area is that I have decided I I should be in control. I should determine how people treat me. That's the first area. And that's why we get furious, or how people should act, I should say. Not just towards me, just how people should act in general. That's why, by the way, children are the most frustrating source of anger, because as a parent, we, of course, we have decided how you should be. That's our job. <laughs> and, of course, guess what? They don't. <laughs> and it's, but I've decided. So the first one is, I've, I've decided how people should act. The second area of control is I've decided how the world should respond, how the world should be. That's traffic. That's the weather. That's all kinds of things that make me angry. I wake up. I'm furious that it's a cloudy day outside. Why? Because I live in Southern California. I've decided that it should not be cloudy. It's amazing. I live in the East Coast. I can't believe how muggy it is. I've decided that it should only be muggy X amount of days. I I understand it's going to be muggy, but it should only be muggy until (laughs) this month. After this month, it is not allowed to be muggy anymore. And then the third and the most poignant one is, is I've decided how I should be. I am in control of how I act. Isn't it amazing how angry we get at our own mistakes and our own fallacies? We get furious at ourselves. We forget, we bend down to pick something up, but we forgot that we opened the freezer door and something fell out of the freezer. So we bend down to pick it up, and we get up and oh, oh, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Wait, you're calling yourself an idiot. You're furious at yourself for banging your head into the freezer, why? Because you should have known better. We get furious at ourselves. The beauty of this is, is that all of these cases are situations where we've decided that we're in control, but reality has dictated that we're not. Reality has dictated we are not in control. If you go through each one, you cannot control how people act. You cannot control how people act towards you, how people act in general. You can't dictate how people are going to talk to you. You can't dictate how people are going to treat you. The only thing you can dictate is yourselves. Whether or not you expose yourself to them. If you know someone treats you bad, you can decide whether or not to be around them. Now, that's limited. You can't just decide, that's it, I'm never going to talk to my mom again. You can't do that. But you can limit your interaction. You can limit your involvement. You can (laughs) limit your exposure. But you can't control how they treat you. You certainly can't control the world around you You certainly can't control traffic. I mean, that would be amazing if someone comes out with an app for that. I think it will shut down in five minutes because everyone will be using it. It will be useless. You can't control the world around you. And you know what else? You cannot control yourself, ultimately, that you won't make any mistakes. You can control yourself to a point. When we understand that it's all about control... What we realize is, is that the source of all anger is all about a mindset. Anger is all about focusing and shifting the way we look at life, the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at the world. That is all that anger is. Now, even though we resolve to never get angry, and even though we understand where anger comes from, we're still gonna get angry that's just a reality we're going to get angry so the next thing that we have to talk about is first and foremost what we have to do is I've shared this with you many times human beings are creatures of habit we are habitual and all too often when we hear that we think it's negative but it's not think about any good thing you do that you appreciate and are proud of, etc etc. It's only because you've cultivated a habit of doing it. eating healthy, working out. It's a habit. saying thank you. saying please it's a habit. We have to cultivate habits. The first and most important habit we have to have to start to cultivate when dealing with anger is not to communicate with anger. It's not to get rid of anger the first and foremost habit we have to begin to cultivate is you don't communicate with anger. Because all of life is about communication. Life is about relationships. And the basic building block, one of the three basic building blocks of relationships is communication. If we communicate with anger, we'll never beat it. Because the relationship we have with ourselves is via anger. So number one, you cannot communicate with anger. That means not just in knowing what to say and what not to say. That's not communicating with anger. You know, certainly knowing what to say and what not to say is the beginning of anger. You don't, you don't say things because you're angry just to make the other person feel bad. You don't say things that are hurtful because you're angry. You don't lash out at someone because you're angry. But also the way you say things. It is amazing how we allow anger to control and dictate the way we say things, even the very things that we should say. If we're in a bad mood and we're angry, we'll say, please. Well, we're supposed to say, please. But that's not exactly saying, please. (laughs) That's really saying, I despise you. I despise the fact that I need something from you. And I really despise the fact that I have to go through the motions of saying, please. All that was wrapped up in that one word, please. It's
1: like sorry when you say
0: sorry. Right, like sorry. In other words, you know what I'm really sorry about? I'm sorry that you are existing. (laughs) I'm not sorry that I did anything wrong. So we cannot communicate with anger, because if we communicate with anger, all we are doing is validating our anger and concretizing it and creating a habit that is allowing that anger to exist continuously. The next thing that we have to do is start to focus on things that will actually negate the anger. And what you will notice here is an amazing thing that Judaism gives us an insight into. And that is, the way Judaism says to get rid of anger, it has nothing to do with anger. Because you can't just say, alright, I'm not going to be angry. It's like, alright, I want no one right now to think of a pink elephant. Don't anyone think of a pink elephant? (laughs) Every single one of you just thought of a pink elephant. (laughs) I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. Damn it, I'm angry. (laughs) It's, It's absurd. You cannot work on anger that way. So the first thing we have to do is start to cultivate tools that will help us when we are angry. So I actually brought a book here. A lot of what I'm saying is based on Rambam based on what I was taught by Rabbi Weinberg but also based on this book by Rabbi Poliskin called Anger The Inner Teacher an interesting title but he's got a whole chapter here called Tools and amazing I'm not going to go through but he has literally numbered them he has four, oh 49 tools Whoa. to help deal with anger. So just, here, first make a list of what's worked for you in the past. Learn from everyone. Breathe slowly and deeply. Breathe. Keep a journal. We'll skip every other one. Go to the eye. Silence, low voice. Talk softly. Force yourself to talk softly. It's amazing how that works. I, I use that one take a sip of water, <laughs> go walk, dance, or do some gardening. They're, it's so, little, simple. they're so simple. so Life is so simple. I, I have a phrase that I was taught by a colleague of mine. He said, life is so simple, we complicate it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And when things are complicated, we just simplify them. We oversimplify them. Life is simple. We tend to complicate it. No, it doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't, you don't understand. It's different with me. I, you know, I have situations that you don't want to do. It's so complicated. No, it's just, life is simple. And he goes through literally a whole list. So I'm not going to go through the whole list, but start to make a list of tools that you can utilize when you are angry. When you do feel yourself getting angry, Have a list, a reservoir, a list of weapons and tools that you can use, that you can grab at your resource, at your fingertips, that you can use. Uh, And practice them. It's habitual. It's like anything. It's habit. Practice them. Pick a tool and say, you know what, for the next week, this is the tool I'm going to work on. I'm going to use this tool for everything. No matter what situation I'm in, I'm just gonna use this tool. So then when the anger comes, it's at your fingertip. It's like martial arts. Martial arts, they literally just go through the same motions over and over and, over and 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 over again. So that, God forbid, when they're actually in that situation, they don't have to stop and think, oh wait, okay, so I stand here, I put my hand here. Meanwhile, the guy's already been pulverized. It doesn't work. It has to be something that's at your fingertips. So have a list of tools. The second thing to help us get rid of the anger is another insight that shows you that we don't deal with the anger itself. And that is character. Building character traits that the very character traits themselves negate anger. Because if you remember, what I tell you anger was? Anger was a focus, a frame of mind, a perspective that's warped a way of looking at life that's wrong, walking through life thinking it's about my control that's been ripped away from me, how dare that happen? Well, that's a warped perspective. So what you have to learn to do is learn to build character traits that reshape the way we look at the world. The greatest character trait to work on is humility. It's humility. Because so much of our anger comes from look at the way I've been wronged. Look at the way I've been wronged. It's all about my honor. It's amazing. We'll speak about laughter now, comedy. The rabbis in Perkyabo say an amazing statement, Ethics of the Fathers, they say that arrogance removes a person from reality. Arrogance removes a person from reality. What does it mean to remove a person from reality? Where we begin to absolutely look at the world from a perspective that is so far from the truth that we don't even realize it. It's so far from the truth that we don't even realize it. If you were to go up to a person and say to them, we'll deal with, uh, we'll deal with, One of the greatest sources of anger is parents or vis-a-vis or children. Either way. (laughs) Going either way. But if you go up to a parent and you say, let me ask you a question. Do kids make mistakes? Do kids always... Forget you just ask a person. In general, I just want to know, do kids always listen to what their parents tell them to do? You know, I'm I'm new at this parenting thing. Do kid, you can even ask someone without children watch I'll ask all of you I mean I'm, I'm new at this parenting thing okay I know I only have seven but I'm new at this and I'm new I'm new at this I'm still trying to learn so do I just curious do kids always do kids always listen to what they're told no oh okay so but sometimes they do but sometimes they don't right oh, okay now if you know that kids don't always listen to what they're told, so then you know that kids sometimes don't listen to what they're told, so then why are you angry when the kid doesn't listen to what he's told? He's normal. <laughs> That's what kids do. We get so angry at ourselves when we make mistakes. Ask a person, just in general. Let me ask you, do people make mistakes? Yeah. Does everyone make mistakes? Yeah, everyone makes mistakes. So why do you get angry at yourself when you make a mistake? You're You're a person. And you just said that people make mistakes. So if you understand that people make mistakes, then there's really no reason you should be getting angry at yourself when people make, when you make a mistake. Yeah, but I'm different. <laughs> you're not a person? I should know better, but, but you're a person. You see, it's insanity. The way we look at life is sometimes through the eyes of an insane person. The rabbis in the Talmud say that mockery is bad unless you mock insanity unless you mock nonsense. The worst type of mockery is when you mock another human being. But to mock our own insanities is the greatest thing to do because it alleviates the the struggle. It becomes you you laugh. See, what happens when we laugh? The seriousness disappears. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so dangerous to laugh at another person because what you just did was you just negated their seriousness in the world. That's why it's destructive. You said you're not serious, you don't matter. But when we laugh at our own foolishness, then we've just gotten rid of the seriousness of it and we're able to deal with it more. The final two pieces of advice that I will give you in terms of dealing with anger, and then I'll answer any questions you have, is the best way to start to cultivate this habit of looking at life the right way is start by framing your day create a frame around your day when you create a frame around your day it puts everything in perspective it puts things in place it gives parameters that's what a frame is a frame is this is the parameters of where your focus should be. The two greatest moments to frame your day are at the beginning and the end. That's when you frame. You frame at the borders. The borders of your day are at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. At the end of every day, you do what's called an accounting. How did you do today? Did I get angry today? Did I give in? Why did I get angry? Did I try to use my tools? Did I work on building character traits that negate anger? I only gave one, humility. But there are others. Building character, positive character traits, by definition, get rid of anger. Because they create a proper perspective of life that negates the source of anger. Because remember, anger is always coming from a perspective. So if you do that at the end of the day, that will help you then frame the day tomorrow morning. When you wake up, you frame the day. And you say, okay, yesterday I messed up, I gave in, I gave in at this time. Today I'm not going to do it. That is something you can't control. So to begin with, Start to frame your day. At the end of the day, you put a a marker around the day, and at the beginning of the day. And then the last piece of advice is, even with all this, life can be somewhat very stressful. And even though we understand that anger is about control, and we should work on our character traits to get rid of control to get rid of the notion that we're in control. So much of our day is all about control. So much of our day is spent trying to control the day, in things that you should be able to control. And yet the world is constantly throwing things at us that we can't control. And so if we lose focus for even a moment, we will confuse the two. My day should be spent controlling me and the way I react to the world. But yet the world is throwing so much stuff at me that I can't control. And it can be a challenge. And it can become very stressful. Because the world is basically telling me, you're limited. You're limited. You have limitations. You are not in control. The greatest way to get rid of that stress is to do what we all would just love to do 24-7, and that is take a vacation but you wouldn't want to do that forever nobody wants to take a vacation from life
1: but there's such
0: a thing called a mental vacation taking a mental vacation and what do I mean by a mental vacation
1: mm-hmm.
0: you take a mental vacation from the confines of the physical world that we live in you take a mental vacation from the limitations that this existence puts around us. In Judaism, you know what that's called? That's called praying. That is exactly why the rabbis set up that one should pray at three times of the day. That you notice that the three times you pray are at pivotal moments in the day, the morning, middle of the day and right at sundown sunset right Right when it turns night where you stop and you remove yourself from the physical day and you connect with something that is beyond the physical you connect with the infinite and you have a break from the limitations of this world we live in that's why a vacation is so refreshing If you think about it, why is a vacation so invigorating? You know, you ever notice that you come back from vacation? Well, okay, maybe this you'll notice this when you're married with kids. But you you notice that you come back from vacation, you're not physically rested from vacation. Many times you come back, you're physically drained from the vacation. You did so much, but yet you're rejuvenated mentally because for whatever amount that time was, you didn't have to deal with the weight of whatever it was that we were dealing with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But that's not the vacation that's healthy, believe it or not, in terms of productivity. Because, admit it, when you come back from vacation, even though you're mentally energized, it takes you probably just as long as the vacation to get back into the movement of things, to get back into the swing of things. A proper vacation that I'm speaking about is when you come back you actually have the energy to (laughs) conquer the world because you took a break from the limitations of the physical world and you connected with the infinite and you reminded yourself that I'm not limited in any way whatsoever. The world is limited but I'm not because I'm, I have the ultimate power behind me. I can change the world if I just choose to. So what I suggest is women don't have to do it three times a day, but once a day, at the minimum, once a day, women should do it. At the minimum, once a day, you don't have to do you know the, the whole routine of prayer, but once a day, stop and connect with the infinite. Stop and connect with the notion that you are not limited, the world is. And when you do that, you will see that when you come back, you have energy to tackle anything that comes your way Till the night when you're exhausted. And then you have to frame. All right, that's anger. Any questions? Yes. Yeah. Uh, is
1: anger the same as like frustration or annoyance?
0: So it. it I'm
1: so, annoying.
0: <laughs> so they are two sides of the same coin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anger and frustration are two sides of the same coin that anger is something that should be negated. Mm-hmm. Anger is the emotion that literally destroys me. Mm-hmm. Frustration, on the other hand, is something that can motivate me. And you've all seen this. You've all seen that you have been motivated by frustration. If anyone here plays a video game,
1: <laughs>
0: or if anyone video game is the greatest example. If anyone here right. plays a video game, or figured out some, you know, oh my god, you got a Rubik's cube on the table. There you go. If you figured out how to even get one side of it. Right. One, forget the cube. Uh, no, I'm going to get one side. Why? Because that frustration was like, no, I'm going to beat this. Mm-hmm. The anger, would you take this thing and you, you're no, I'm, <laughs> this thing, I'm in control of this box. And you're, boom. But no, you're not in control of it. It's there. You it. So there's, mm-hmm. you see that there are two sides of the same coin. One is it allows the emotion takes over. Mm-hmm. The other is a tool that can be utilized. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So when you're deep in the anger,
0: you're yes. Deep in the thick.
1: Deep in the thick. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's pouring down all week. You're just. It's almost like you're looking for what's to go wrong, and it turns into the depression of things. And, the and that's when your is, mom.
0: And that's right when your mom right? calls you. <laughs> <laughs> and the praying
1: and the tools aren't working. I mean, how how can you really just take a step back to get out of it?
0: So again, so first of all, to say the tools aren't working. Or to say that you praying. the
1: tools aren't Okay,
0: so... you're so
1: deep in the... Right, in the
0: so that's why you need multiple tools. Okay. You cannot have one tool. There's no... You cannot have one tool. What you must have is multiple tools. And it's not, it's not possible that something won't work. It's not possible. Um, you know, because the, the ultimate tool is to just get away. Get away from it. Literally, one of his examples was, go stand on a balcony. (laughs) So now, that might be dangerous. (laughs) Don't stand on the balcony alone, perhaps. But what he's saying is, just get away. Get away from it. Go to the beach. Do something. Because it's not possible that the tools aren't working. You're not using them properly. Or the situation has gotten too far where the tools are not strong enough. You got to get out of it, and don't expect the tools to work right away. Until you start to realize that, well, I, I need to work on those character traits. I really need to start understanding that anger is all about reframing my point of view, my perspective of life is it's it's, it's all about me. It's all about me, in the positive. See, anger is all it's all about me in the negative. It's all about me, my anger, my ego. How dare you treat me that way? How dare you do that? How dare I make that mistake? And instead, shifting it to, it's, it's all about me. I'm in control. I can decide how this is going to play out. That's empowering. Now, I, I must share with you, that's why I wanted to end with, I brought this. I have to read to you something that the Rambam writes. It's, in my mind, in, in my opinion, it is one of the most... Powerful statements the Rama makes in, in all of his writings. It's about anger. He's speaking about anger, and he says the following. That he says this idea of, and then he, and then he summarizes. And he says that a, an angry person, their life is not life. Their life is not life. Therefore, the rabbis commanded, we were commanded to distance ourselves from anger until we get to a point where we don't even feel the sensation of anger, even on those things that it is fitting to be angry about. There are things that it's fitting to be angry about. That's a whole separate discussion. There are things that you should be angry about. Injustice, insanity should infuriate you, but not that you should be angry. He says you should get to a point where you don't even feel the sensation of anger, even on those things. And this is the way of righteous people, that they hear their insults. No, I'm sorry. They are humiliated, but they don't humiliate back. They hear their insults, and they don't respond. They do things out of love, and they rejoice in suffering. And on them, the verse says, Those that love Him are like the sun going out in its full strength you have to understand the profound statement that he's making because he puts so many ideas here. Everything we spoke about is all wrapped up in that one sentence, in that one statement he just made. He said that life is about the middle road. That's the, right, that's the road the righteous people walk, except for anger. Anger, no, no middle road. Why? Because if you're angry, your life is not life. You're not alive. You're alive, but the, it's not your life. It's, it's a bitter... Think about that person I spoke to you about in the airport. It's not just him, but his whole family. Their life is just... You see people like that, you feel bad for them. Their life is not life. And that's why we are commanded to even the things we should be angry about. We don't feel it. We don't feel that anger because we're in control. And he says, and how do you get this? Listen to this. You are humiliated, but you don't humiliate back. Because it's not a tit for tat. It's not, you did this to me, I'm gonna do it back to you. You hear someone say something, you don't respond back. You don't respond back before. Why? And this is where if you really if we had the time we could start analyzing this, doesn't it's not it doesn't seem like it flows properly. One would say about such a person that Someone who hears their humiliation, their insults, but doesn't respond back. Such a person is someone that is in control of their anger. No, he goes on and he says, this is a person that does things out of love and rejoices in suffering. And the verse says about that person that those that love him are like the sun in his full strength. Where did you see anywhere that this is talking about someone that loves God. That's what that means, those that love God. Where in this description where we talk about someone who loves God? It's talking about someone who's able to hear his insult or her insult, hear their shame and not respond and does things out of love and rejoices in their suffering because it's one and the same. This This is the character trait that I was speaking about. Someone that works on their character to the point that they understand that everything that happens in life is because God is in control. I'm not in control. And God loves me. And everything that happens is for my best. And you know what? If someone insulted me, I was meant to hear it. Why would why did I hear that? Who cares? Is it true? Is it not true? I was obviously meant to hear that, and you know what, things aren't going right, okay. This, this was meant to be. There's much, something I must be able to learn from this. That's why he called it anger the inner teacher, because uh, that, that life, things that you're talking about, that life is just coming down on me, that's all there to teach me about me. It's all there to teach me about life. It's a lesson to be learned, that God is throwing things my way to create opportunities I rejoice in those challenges that's the frustration oh it's a challenge I'm gonna beat this it's a challenge I rejoice in suffering that's what he says and then look what it says those that love him those that love God it was the other way around before I was explaining that you understand that God loves you now he says no those that love God Do you know what it means to love God what it means to love God is What's it mean to love someone? I've spoken to you before about love. Love is taking pleasure in another being. That's what love is. When you take pleasure in the existence of another person, loving God means you get pleasure in life. Someone who walks through life getting pleasure is never going to get angry. Because life is pleasurable. Life's a joy. How do you get angry when you're filled with joy? You don't. And that person is like the sun in its full strength. Remember that guy in the airport? He was miserable. Guess what his wife and kids were? Miserable. miserable. The guy that came and sat down next to me was filled with joy. I couldn't help but be filled with joy. Because someone who is filled with joy is like the sun in its full strength. You know what the sun in its full strength is? It warms the world, and it's contagious. The New York Times put out an article not too long ago, happiness is contagious. Mm -hmm. A person who goes through life not allowing the world to dictate their emotions, but rather dictating their own emotions, and choosing to build their character traits to the extent that instead of looking at the world, why me, why me? Instead of looking at the world, ah, oh, why me? Oh, why me? Now oh, this is all for my benefit. Mm-hmm. This is all for my pleasure. That person will warm all those around them. So when you do get to just get away from it. All right, I hope that answered.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: so funny, just yesterday I was in traffic yeah. and someone put on, and I was like, ah. ah, and I counted to 10. I was like, I never yeah. get that frustrated, but I got so frustrated. I was like, just going to take a deep breath. I there you go. There's 10. a tool. And I didn't feel 100% better, but I felt better. I, so, so, I didn't want like ram So that remember that.
0: So remember that. <laughs> remember that but come up with another tool come up with another tool because you remember that okay it didn't work fully so next time what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to ten and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna come up with a little ditty that at number five I'm gonna think of this and at number ten I'm gonna think of that so this way it's not just one two three four five six seven eight and ten it's one two three four five God loves me six seven eight nine ten life is about pleasure come up with your own right yeah if that, that, that works yeah. great but if you come up with a little a little ditty then it's not just counting to ten it's mm-hmm. adding mm-hmm. like
1: when someone drives slow in front of me you know it's so easy to like ah. wow oh you exactly. fast but i started thinking about you know what if that's me in, in 50 years like what if i'm that slow driver and i want to know that the person behind me is like laying on their horn and said, you know they're they're forgiving me. They're going around. You know, I want to know that. Well, it's funny too, 'cause sometimes I just feel like everyone is kind of getting away. I'm like, you know what? Maybe there's an accident ahead,
0: and God's just trying to like. There you go. That's slow called, me down. That's called reframing. That's <laughs> yeah. called reframing. You know, you yeah. just reset. Look, yeah. again, when I said don't communicate with anger, mm-hmm. it's a, aside from don't communicate with anger, don't re, don't respond, mm-hmm. don't respond to the things that are. That's a, Not communicating with anger is also about not responding mm-hmm. to the things that are coming at you. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I learned, I learned this when I made a mistake and I responded to someone who was angry. Mm-hmm. And it was my first time experiencing road rage mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. This doesn't exist elsewhere. I actually yeah. got chased. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I actually had, I had a car chase. I was being chased. By a guy in a pickup truck because I was waiting to make a left at Pico and Beverly.
1: Oh,
0: yeah, I was going south on Beverly and I was making a left onto Pico and there was a person crossing the street, an old person, an elderly woman, who was going quite slow and okay you know. And you know, and they're and, and, okay, but I'm not gonna what am I gonna do? This poor little woman, I gotta ring, <laughs> well, you scare the woman to yeah. death, right? You ever seen that commercial? I'm sure you've all seen that video the woman walking along and the, the guy honks and she like startled and she turns and hits his car with their <laughs> pocketbook and it causes the the um it causes the airbag to go off. It's hysterical. It's hysterical. But anyway, so what am I gonna do? So I'm waiting. And she finally gets across the street. Now, meanwhile, because she took so long to get across the street, the light my light turned red, and the Pico oncoming traffic turned green. But they couldn't see that I was waiting for this old lady, so they started honking at me. And I'm, so I finally, I'm finally able to turn, and this pickup truck comes barreling up next to me, honking and screaming at me. And so I made the mistake of responding, trying to explain to him. You know, I'm a rabbi. I, I want to reframe his perspective. I want to educate him from inside my car. Yeah. So, which was just absurd. I started playing charades with him. Yeah. And I went like this. I wanted to say there was someone walking in the road. I don't know what he took that out. Oh.
1: <laughs>
0: but I went like this. I went. You might have thought that I gave him the worst. You. you might have thought I gave him the worst hand signal, Italian gesture of you know whatever this means, uh, that you could possibly fathom, because I actually saw his face turn red, and I actually saw steam come off of his forehead as he literally turned his wheel to ram at me. I was in a sports car, so I, I oh, my God. <laughs> and I slammed on the gas and jumped up in front of him, and I saw my rearview mirror, and he slammed on oh the God. gas, and I go, okay, this is not good. <laughs> so I turned off the road, and I know those streets, and so, because that's where I worked at the time. I lived, in, I was living in Santa Monica, but I was working in that area before I moved there. So I turned off one of the side streets. I know I, to like to this day, this is going back about, 14 probably no this is going back probably 16 years ago and I turn on the side road I figure you know I'll just turn I'll go on the side road to my office and be done with it and he turned on the side road and I said oh my god he's literally chasing me I'm a rabbit what am I gonna get in a fight
1: This is absurd. <laughs> all places where this is happening.
0: Yeah. Pico, Beverly, Again, <laughs> the fight is going to be on the news. Rabbi I and mean, brawl. <laughs> so I, I figure, okay, this <laughs> is not happening. I need exactly. to outrace this guy. Oh, okay. And I literally had zigzagging right <laughs> But I learned a valuable <laughs> lesson. And Pico <laughs> Robertson. In Pico Robertson. But I learned a valuable, <laughs> valuable lesson. It's you dirty. don't respond. You don't yeah. respond. You yeah. yeah. don't no, respond yeah. to the yeah. anger. You just...
1: Mm. Louis C.K. was amazing stand-up about road rage and
0: how people that would be the nicest people in the world outside yeah, of the car, you turn into the, you turn the, into the, the most... The you say things that you would never say yeah. in someone's face outside yeah. of a car. Yep. So that's, that's, that, was, that was number four of this list. Don't communicate. You yeah. Don't communicate. Because we don't realize that that really is validating right. and allowing us and permitting ourselves to be angry again.